Let's go into the next patient. Okay, so the next patient is a 75-year-old man who was diagnosed with a GIST tumor in 2009. He had a 5-centimeter primary, a fairly low mitotic rate. He was actually treated by another oncologist with a year of imatinib, and then his oncologist left the community. And where was the primary and sites of METS? Gastric, stomach. And what, where was the site of METS? He didn't have any METS. Okay. He just had a resection of a 5-centimeter primary in the stomach. Got it. So he got adjuvant imatinib. Adjuvant, yeah. So when his oncologist left, his wife, who is a patient of mine, I've been seeing her for years for breast cancer, his wife said, why don't you go see Dr. Cartwright? But this was actually he, after he was already finished his one year of adjuvant treatment. There's tables where you can actually calculate the risk of reoccurrence, and his risk, at least the way I calculated, was 3.6%. So I thought that was kind of a low, I normally would not have given this patient adjuvant treatment. I would have just followed him. Now that's four or five years ago. I still don't think things have changed that I would do anything. So. This patient took about five minutes. He's feeling well. His lab work all looked good. I'm really just kind of monitoring him for any problems. And somebody like this, I wouldn't routinely do any scans or anything like that. I think it's just he's just too low of a risk. So. And how did he do on the imatinib? Again, it was like before I saw him, but as I remember, he tolerated it well. He didn't have... I don't remember any specific, he didn't stop the drug early, he didn't have any dose reductions. Whether he had some minor fluid retention, cramps, nausea, I just don't remember, but I don't think so. Tony, any observations on him? And maybe you could provide a little bit of an update on where we are in terms of just both in terms of adjuvant therapy as well as metastatic disease. We saw, I think, maybe the third major phase three adjuvant trial presented last year's ASCO. How do you put together that whole adjuvant question of whether to treat and for how long to treat? That's now the most relevant, I think, question in in the care of GIST that has been resected is one, who do you treat in the adjuvant setting? And two, how long do you treat them for? High risk, no doubt, need to be treated for at least three years. And I'll, I'll go over the data very quickly. This particular patient has a lot of aspects that place him in a very favorable risk. You know, a tumor that's relatively small, a low mitotic rate, and stomach, all these are favorable aspects. And technically, this patient would not today be eligible for imatinib. A higher risk patient, say larger tumor, larger than 10 centimeter, or larger than 5 centimeter with more than 5 per 50 mitotic rate, or more than 10, the higher mitotic rate, all these patients should receive imatinib and should receive it for at least three years. The reason why I say at least three years is because the study actually looked at three versus one year, and three did much better than one year, but if you look at the curves, there's a suggestion that patients may benefit if they received it for longer. Now, I don't do it because the study had a hard endpoint of stopping at three years. I do tend to follow the study. There are some implications to long-term imatinib. Uh, you know, patients can get more toxicities, fatigue, etc., and the cost. So until I see more data, I'm not going to change that. But nonetheless, I think a general rule of thumb, 30 to 50% relapse rate, those patients should get 
treatment, less than 20%, those patients will be unlikely to benefit from treatment. We're talking about relapse. In the metastatic setting, these are cancers that are highly responsive to treatment. And in terms of the treatment options, imatinib remains the predominant agent in the first line and sunitinib in the second line. And we just heard about data with regorafenib in the third line, regorafenib versus best supportive care. In fact, you know, some patients had seven lines of therapy with significant improvement. In fact, the curves were the most separated I've seen so far in oncology. They're pretty impressive. And in my personal opinion, actually, and what I started to do in some patients is I actually am moving regorafenib to patients who fail imatinib rather than wait to the third line. And clinically, actually, I've treated patients already with just regorafenib and very impressed with the activity. And the toxicity is interesting. The toxicities are still very similar to what you see with colorectal, but they're less intense, at least in the few patients I've treated. And those patients tend to be less sick and less beat up than colorectal patients. So I think part of it has to do with the disease, but part of it has to do with where the patient is at in terms of their treatment. Do you still do 160 in those patients? Or yeah, I always, always. Yeah, my philosophy about these things is I give the benefit of the full dose, and then I can always go down as needed. Your last or actually first question was, any impressions about this particular patient? This patient is a survivor, and he knows this patient is likely to survive this cancer. And I can tell you, like all survivors, and we have a special survivorship clinic now in our GI cancer clinic, it is very interesting that early stage patients that survive their cancer end up with more depression and anxiety than patients who actually get diagnosed from the get-go with metastatic disease. In fact, you know, we have been collecting these quality of life data and depression scores on patients. And my surgeon who works with me in the same clinic and his nurse practitioner is actually working on one of the projects says, it's amazing when we're looking at our patients. And when I tell someone from the get-go, I'm sorry, I can't resect you, you have metastatic disease, you're going to see Dr. Saab immediately. And they collected the data longitudinally versus someone who got resected and then they go through treatment and they continue collecting the data. Those patients who are survivors end up actually in a worse mental predicament than those that are diagnosed from the get-go, which is pretty interesting. They have a different perspective of life very quickly and different anxieties very quickly with the stage of the cancer. That's really fascinating. I mean, it certainly is a very, very different experience, but and I asked Tom what his experience is in that regard, but I'm just kind of curious, any speculations that you have or people in your group who've seen these data about you know why this is? I think it's the level of acceptance it's almost, how should I put it? I'll, I'll tell you about a personal experience with one time being on a plane going through the Atlantic. That plane had some smoke coming out of one of the ventilators, and we had to do an emergency landing in the middle of the ocean. And as the plane was going down, there were different groups of people, some crying, some sobbing, and I actually was surprised how calmly I took that. And I actually volunteered to be one of those who will help the flight attendants to open the door. And the only thing I could think as the plane was going down is I should have written my will. And I wasn't anxious about that moment. However, when we got back on the plane to continue to our destination, anxiety hit for two hours. So I think, and I'm using that analogy, 
And I think that when the patients are faced with a fateful disease, with their fate, they accept it faster versus those that are riding on the plane, scared that it's going to fall every moment of the way. And so that anxiety hits and, and that anxiety can translate into depression. And I think that's probably the analogy I would use to explain the difference.